voices as we sing standing on the promises standing on the promises of Christ my king Good to have each of you in the Lord's house this morning. Let's open up with prayer and ask God to come and meet with us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we do praise you and thank you for Christ, for your church, for our fellow believers that we can come and worship with. We thank you for the salvation that you have freely offered to us and the Holy Spirit that stirs our hearts and draws us to you. And I pray that you would be with us as we worship you this morning, for truly we desire to exalt you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Please be seated. as we sing lift high the name of Jesus and then oh praise the name lift high the name of Jesus of Jesus our King may known the power of his grace the beauty of his peace remember how his mercy reached and we cried out Yeah. 
Is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Even when I stumble, even when I fall, even when I turn back, still your love is sure. You will not abandon, you will not forsake, you will cheer me onward with never-ending grace. Sing with joy now, our God is for us, 
The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave His Son to free us holds me in His love. Neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave His Son to free us holds me in His love. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Thank you very much, John. I would like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 53, if you would. The next three Sundays, this Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, and Easter Sunday, I am going to take us each Sunday to a section of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a very famous text for being a prophetic text of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. Now, of course, you and I, we look in hindsight back. We have the scriptures, the gospels, the New Testament to go back. We can look back to Christ. But when we come to Isaiah 53, they're looking forward to the coming Messiah, the coming price paid for their sins. Now, they were struggling to understand who he would be. What would this look like? They were hoping he would come as a great ruler that would uh, restore Israel as a great kingdom, a mighty power. Uh, They weren't fully grasping the idea that Christ was going to come and be a suffering sacrifice first and pay for their sins. Although that's all there. But sometimes we, with our own preconceived ideas and our preconceived desires, we can struggle to see What God is telling us is coming. So as we come to Isaiah 53, we come to a very clear text that points to Jesus Christ. And my goal over the next three Sundays is to help you to see what maybe they struggled to see because we have hindsight so that we might see and understand. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to look into the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we look into your word. I ask that it would be your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. I pray for Holy Spirit guidance and power in preaching, that in every way you might be exalted and honored. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to read to you the first 12 verses of Isaiah 53, and then we're going to look at several different verses kind of through Isaiah But we're going to focus a lot right on this text. Isaiah 53, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, 
and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made, this, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You and I, as we read that text today, we clearly see Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior. As you read the verses, it it's so parallels who he was and what he did, what God had found pleasure in doing to pay for your sins and mine. When the text starts off, when you look at verse 1 there, it says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He starts off with a question, a question to all of us throughout all generation and all time. He simply is asking, who's going to believe it? Who's going to believe that God would leave heaven above, take upon himself the form of a man born of a virgin, raised as a child, grew up, ministered and willingly died on the cross for people like you and me. He says, who's going to believe this report? He comes down into that last part. He says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You and I in this room today, God has revealed in our hearts and our souls the truths of the gospel. He stirred our heart with the, soul, with the Holy Spirit at some point, at some time, some place in your life. God stirred your soul and made you contemplate your spiritual need and his supply for that spiritual need. You and I are those that the Lord revealed this truth to. It is up to us whether we embrace that, whether we receive Christ as our Savior, or we reject Him. People choose all the time, don't they? But God is going to go down through this text, and He is going to lay out for people throughout all time who Jesus is, what He did, and why. Today, I'm just going to take the first part of Isaiah 53, and we're going to talk about His earthly ministry. Next week, we're going to talk about him coming into Jerusalem and him approaching the cross, that sacrifice. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to go in and we're going to talk about what God accomplished and how Christ rose. But this morning, when we start out in just the first few verses here, he starts out by saying, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as they root out of a dry ground. He's talking to us about the birth of Christ. When we look in the scriptures, he's talking about that, that root of Jesse, talking about the lineage of going all the way back through time, 
all the way back to David, all the way back to Jesse. And he's saying of the line of Jesse is born up this tender plant, Jesus Christ. In fact, go back with me if you look at Isaiah 11. Look at the first couple verses of Isaiah 11. Again, a prophetic verse about the coming Christ. It says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Isn't it a wonderful text talking to us about the, the childhood and the life of Jesus Christ? Talking to us about him being born out of that rood of Jesse. And it talks about the fact that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. We go to the Gospels and we start reading about Christ. Start reading about him even as a 12-year-old going to the temple. And this text talks about his understanding and his wisdom. He came, he taught, and people stood in amazement at the temple when he was 12 years old. Because God had miraculously left heaven to take upon himself that form of a man that he might minister and woo people to come to salvation. When you look at this uh, Isaiah 11 verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. All of this pointing to Jesus Christ and his ministry upon the earth. So as soon as we approach Isaiah 53 verse 2, where it references him as that tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. Now you and I, maybe when we read this text, we think, well, wow, yeah, no doubt about it. That Israel, that's some dry ground over there. And I've done several trips to Israel with people from our church and others and when you get there, no doubt it is dry. In fact, I truly, I look at the green mountains and I think to myself, why doesn't the whole world migrate to here? I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? Even when the winter comes and we've got all that beautiful white snow on the ground, it's all beautiful. Now, there's some things that are not so great about Vermont, but the beauty is there. You're not going to go and find any place more beautiful than here. But he's not really talking about dry ground versus green mountains or white mountains in New Hampshire or Adirondack mountains and pastures. He's not talking about that kind of dry ground. He's talking about spiritual dry ground. And so he says to us, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Jesus Christ will be born of that stem of Jesse, a tender plant as a child, a babe. And as a root out of a dry ground, he's saying he's going to come up during a time of spiritual dryness, barrenness. Jesus born at the time of the Roman Empire, born at the time of, of true barbarity and wickedness. You and I temper all our understanding of history based upon the time we live. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, I mean, hey, we're pretty civilized people. The Romans were a rough and rowdy folk. And if you were not of the elite, you lived a hard life. Oftentimes in communities, there were more slaves than free people. I want you to understand that. I'm not saying that families would have a family of five and one slave. Some of these families would have a family of five and ten slaves. Because as Rome conquered and as it spread and expanded, what they would do is they would scoop up the people and they would take them as slaves. Now sometimes they would replant them and create new communities in new places, but sometimes they would sieve them out into society as slaves. It was a rough, hard place. And Israel was no different. 
Rome rode hard upon Israel. It's why you find the revolt of the Jews against the Roman Empire, because Rome was hard on them. And so it tells us that Jesus was born during a dry, spiritually dry time. It's interesting when it talks about him. It says, and he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. It is an interesting thing what we do. We, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. So every time we draw a picture of him, we try to think of the most beautiful way we can draw him. But God, when he's talking to us about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, hey, he's just a regular person. He's not somebody that, that people stop in the street and say, wow, that is such a beautiful baby. That's what they said about you, maybe. But God is saying here, you know what? Jesus came, this tender plant, born during a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's saying that's not why Jesus Christ came. He didn't come here to be some model, to, to, to go ahead and be part of the beautiful people, for everybody to stand up and say, he is so amazingly good looking, we've got to follow him. That's not at all what God was setting out to do. Jesus Christ came with a singular purpose, to pay for your sins and mine. He didn't come for the purpose of being served or ministered to. In fact, the scriptures tell us he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So all the way back here in Isaiah 53, he's saying to us that when Jesus Christ came, born of the root of Jesse, the lineage of Jesse, this tender plant born during a dry spiritual time, a hard time. He came as a regular man. Look at what he goes on to say about it. Verse 3. And he is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. When you look at the ministry years of Jesus Christ, and remember, we're leading up. So we're starting in the early Isaiah 53, his birth, his ministry. Then we move to his sacrifice and God's purpose. But right now we're looking at his earthly ministry and he says to us, he says, listen, Jesus Christ came. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It says we hid our faces from him. It is an interesting thing to go to the four gospels and read about the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ. John 5.18 says, if the world hate you, this, these are the words of Jesus. He says, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. So when you tell your coworkers and neighbors and family and friends that you've received Christ as your Savior and you're a committed Christian, and somebody, oh, another crazy, crazy nutcase treats you horribly, Jesus says, wait, understand, if they hate you, they hated me before you. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 is telling us. He's saying he was despised. Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4, they say, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. And they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. So we find that the Gospels tell us that as Jesus ministered, as he was healing people and making them whole, as he was 
feeding people by the thousands, the high priest's house, they're conspiring on how they can, with subtlety, kill him. So when Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that he was despised, we see that in the text. Luke chapter 11, verses 53 and 54 say, And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. So can you imagine as you go out and about in your community, your neighborhood, as you're talking to your friends and your coworkers, can you imagine people just sitting there and waiting? They're just waiting for you to say something wrong. For just something that they can take and use against you. Just something that you can say that they can twist and manipulate so that they can just come down on you. That's exactly what this is saying about Jesus Christ. In fact, not only did they wait, it tells us that they urged him to say more. Say more. Hoping, hoping, watching, waiting. Because they so despised him. It's such a hard thing to understand. It's, it is a spiritual warfare that you're looking at. Because Christ was sinless. Christ was a minister to people. He came and he really, what he did during his lifetime was care about, care for, minister to people. But yet there were people who hated him for it and despised him. And that's what Isaiah tells us. So Isaiah is prophesying to the coming Christ. This Christ who will be born as a tender plant during a dry time. This Messiah who will be despised and rejected. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. You find an account of Jesus Christ being invited over for dinner. Listen to what transpires in Luke chapter 7 verse 44. So he's been invited by Simon to Simon's house for dinner. Listen to verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gave me no water for my feet. She hath washed my feet with the tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. So when you look at this text, it gives us a small window into what was transpiring at the time of Christ. This morning when I walked back in the sanctuary, I thought to myself, what in the world? Somebody put a hole in our wall. Did you notice that? A couple of you. I thought, somebody cut a hole in there. Now, why? I'm sure they needed a window to know maybe a wire, maybe, I don't know why. But they needed a little window to get in there to find out what's going on. This text gives us a tiny window into what's transpiring in a daily function of Christ's life. He's invited to somebody's house for dinner in the tradition of that time. And when I say tradition, I mean it is a cultural tradition. If you don't do it, it's an insult. So when you would arrive as a guest, you would be welcomed with a kiss. Not a kiss like you're kissing your wife goodnight. Well, I don't know how you kiss your wife goodnight. <laughs> but not like, uh, you know, it's not, it's like when I do a wedding, I tell the bride and groom, your goal is not to humiliate grandma when I say kiss the bride. <laughs> you know, 
But what they do in the Middle East is they do kind of a little mock kiss to the side. They just come and they embrace them. They don't even, they don't even touch the lips to the skin. But it is a social norm and has been for time going back. So here, when you would come as a guest, they would welcome you and they would do this. They still do this in the Middle East today. In that time, they would offer you water. And water was to wash your hands and wash your feet because it's a dirty world. They lived in a dirty, dirty culture and society. It's dirt, animals in the streets, dirt streets, cobblestone streets, it's dirty. It was common courtesy to give you water. If you were an honored guest, they would give you oil, scented oil. And a part of that was because the hygiene that day was not that great. They didn't have running showers. I mean, they did if you were a Roman em emperor, you know. But if you were just a common man, you're doing a sponge bath every day. And you're living in a place that's hot and sweaty. So when you'd arrive as a guest, they would give you a little courteous kiss. They'd give you water to wash your hands and your feet. And if they could afford it, they would give you a scented oil. And it, it made everybody feel better because you smelled better and they did too. So here Jesus says, this guy, Simon, a powerful person, a person of influence in the community, he has gone ahead and invited Jesus Christ for dinner. And what does Jesus say? He says, you gave me no kiss, you gave me no water to wash myself, and you gave me no oil to be anointed. This tells us when Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the coming Christ, that he would be rejected. How rejected would you be if somebody invited you to their house, but they treated you worse than a stranger? That's how they treated Jesus. Worse than a stranger. They would treat a stranger better than that. So, so Isaiah 53 is telling us he's despised. He's rejected. He is a man of sorrows. And I, I took a moment to reflect on that, that phrase about Christ in his life. A man of sorrows. And I thought back to a text, and I want to take you there with me, because I want you to see what I'm seeing. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 3. Because I, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus Christ lived a regular life, walking the same streets, needing to provide and do all that life requires. Look with me at Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 3 down through 6. And here it is, Christ, he comes, he's teaching, he's preaching. He comes back to his old neighborhood. And listen what they say in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah? And Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended by him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, in his own town. This morning, I looked back, and I saw that Chaz came in back here. Chaz Welch, home to visit his family. And then I saw Noah's here visiting with his grandma. Well, these are guys who grew up in the church. I haven't seen them in quite a long while. They've moved far away. So when I see somebody I know and love from when they were kids, I go over and I say, hey, Noah, how are you doing? Or, hey, Chaz, how's it going down there? Don't you connect with people and aren't you happy to see them? Jesus comes back to his old neighborhood. And, why, and how do they respond to him? How do they treat him? They say, isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon. So when this text says to us, he was a man of sorrows, he was treated badly. But there's another nuance in this verse 
that teaches us something about Jesus. And that is, we don't find his dad mentioned in there, do we? You don't find Joseph mentioned. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? And the brother of so-and-so and, and uh, you know, the brother of these sisters? So all of a sudden I think to myself, this is a man who's experienced losing his father. Secondly, he's the oldest child. Because Mary, first child, Jesus. So all of a sudden, Jesus has to step up and he's got to be the carpenter as whatever age he was when his father passed. We know his father was still alive when he was 12 because we have the account of him going to the temple. But sometime between 12 and when we find him in his early 30s, somewhere in there, his father died. And he had to assume the responsibility of being the carpenter to care for all these brothers and sisters and his mom. So when you read this text in Isaiah 53, and it tells us that he is a man who's despised, who's rejected, and he's somebody who's experienced sorrow, he's experienced the same things in life that you and I have experienced. But the text goes on and it tells us also he was acquainted with grief. Now I'm sure when his father passed, he experienced grief. If you're not yet old enough where you see that generation passing away, your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, that comes in your life at some point and you experience the heartache and the grief of losing friends. We know that in the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus Christ stood and wept outside the tomb of where Lazarus died. He's somebody who experienced grief. You and I in our lives, when we think about Jesus Christ, sometimes we just forget that he came and he lived from birth to when he was about 33 years old, crucified, buried, and resurrected. But when you look at this time in between, this was not a life of ease. The New Testament tells us he did not even have a place that he could call his own to lay his head. So when Isaiah depicted Christ, Isaiah was not depicting somebody who would come as a mighty handsome, phenomenal ruler. That's what Israel wanted. But Jesus came as a minister with the single purpose to die for the sins of humankind. Isaiah 53 is laying for us a groundwork. It's interesting, one of the last things it says is that he was not esteemed. And that simply means he was not respected. Now you and I today, we honor and worship Jesus Christ because he is God in the flesh who died on the cross for our sins. We worship him and honor him for he is God. He is our savior. But they did not understand that. They did not grasp that. They didn't even respect him. John chapter 1 verse 46 when Christ was choosing his apostles, it says, And Nathanael said unto his brother, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come, come and see. But that's a little bit of a hint of the disrespect that Christ was shown. They were not looking for a simple man who grew up in Nazareth as a carpenter. They were looking for a king. And so when we start approaching Jerusalem, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we approach Jerusalem. You understand that all those years, Christ was like your neighbor. He's just a regular person. Working, serving, being offended as people rejected him, despised him. But yet, at the same time, 
serving and serving, turning the other cheek. You know, he teaches us to do that. He did it. He took it. He took it on the chin. Why? Because he came to die for your sins and mine. Now, he told Peter, because Peter pulls out the sword, cuts off the servant ear. He says, hey, listen, if I wanted to, I can call down 10,000 legions of angels to do that. At any time, Christ could have put a stop to all that was transpiring. He chose to come and die for your sins and mine. That is why we humble ourselves before him. And we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for such a gift, the gift of eternal life. We call upon him and we receive him into our hearts because he says, come, come unto me, all you that are weary, and I'll give you rest. He tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's who Jesus is. That is why he came. That is why God him, had him born of the, the root of Jesse, that tender plant rising up during this dry, bare, and horrible spiritual time. And he ministered, and he's headed to Jerusalem next Sunday. Next Sunday, he's going to get to Jerusalem. And they're going to welcome him into the city. What a confusing moment as they celebrate him coming in. Hosanna, Hosanna. And then in a couple days, crucify him, crucify him. Right now we're looking at Jesus in his ministry. Next Sunday, Jerusalem. Thank you so much for coming to God's house this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. And I know John's going to close us with a little chorus. Father, I pray that you be with us as we go forth. Help us to go forth honoring you, respecting, glorifying you. You are worthy. Help us to be strong. Even if neighbors or family or friends hate us for our faith, we know they hated you first. Help us to live a life that's right and honoring for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Dismissed this morning.